coming at you from the One Stone Recording and Mastering Studio in New Brunswick, New Jersey. This is The Weigh-In with your host, Matt Ward. Welcome to The Weigh-In. My name is Matt Ward, and I'm a boxing writer and historian from the greater Philadelphia area. Every two weeks, I will introduce you to people from the world of boxing, both past and present. This episode of The Weigh-In features my interview with former middleweight contender and USBA middleweight champion, Curtis Parker. Curtis fought professionally from 1977 to 1988 and is just one of the many great fighters to come out of the city of brotherly love. During his career, Curtis compiled a record of 29 wins, 9 losses, and 0 draws. On May 4, 1980, Curtis defeated Mike Colbert for the USBA middleweight title in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Parker fought his final professional bout on March 19, 1988 in Las Vegas, Nevada. In this bout, Curtis was defeated by Michael Nunn for the NABF middleweight title. Without further delay, here is the weigh-in with Curtis Parker. Please introduce yourself to my listeners. Hello, I'm Curtis Parker. I'm from Philadelphia, and I'm now living in South Philly. And I'd like to know how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. <laughs> At what age did you start boxing? I started boxing around the age of 16. Amateur boxing, and uh, I did that. I did well amateur uh, boxing. We uh, we traveled. Uh, we met a lot of people, and uh, it was a great, you know, flight when I had to take an airplane or great travel when I had to take a train. But it was all all good. Growing up, who were your favorite fighters? Okay, growing up, I wasn't into boxing. I was more into football. And as I got older, what happened was <laughs> street fights. You know, we, <laughs> we, I don't know if you ever know about the street fights but or school fights. And that's where it started, you know. And uh, you had to, you know, we would box each other. We would slack box each other. And how you hold your hand. So it was all good. Please tell us about your amateur boxing career. Oh, amateur boxing was uh, very, very interesting. To interest, I mean, it was I was interested in boxing to take it farther, even go to the Olympics. I was robbed. Uh, even on TV, they said I won the fight, but yet it was taken from me, and that would have sent me right to the Olympics. I was right behind uh, what's his name, Sugary. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and uh, uh, the two brothers, uh, heavyweight Michael, Michael Spicks and Leon Spicks. I was oh. with them guys. Oh, cool. At what age did you turn professional? I, I actually turned professional at 21. I, <laughs> and for some reason, I could have did it earlier. Save it. At 21, I pretty much uh, waited till I'm 21, even when I was uh, uh, amateur and all. So I just wanted to wait 21 for some reason. 21 seems okay with me, and I fought when I became 21 on my birthday. Oh, cool! That was awesome to have a fight on my birthday. And 
I won it, believe it or not. That was uh, the thrill of uh, my birthday is me winning that fight. That's a nice birthday gift, too. Oh, to yourself. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> an excellent birthday gift. That was awesome. And that stays with me more than any fight. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Who was your trainer when you turned professional? Okay, we had Willie Reddish Sr. and Willie Reddish Jr. They both were uh, training me. Sr. was the manager and trainer. And Junior was right the backup when uh, Senior wasn't uh, there or not. But his father was great because he boxed also really well as Senior. He boxed through his life and uh, he uh, he did train Sunday Listener. He had Sunday Listener. Oh, yeah, also. yeah. Who uh, was your first promoter as a professional? Oh, really? Oh, Willie. <laughs> Russ. Uh, just oh, saying. J. Russell Peltz. Yeah, well, yeah, Russell yeah. 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 Peltz. Yeah, Russell <laughs> Peltz. He, uh, we signed up with Russell Peltz. He, uh, he, I won my, I think, 18 fights with Russell Peltz. Um, he, he, uh, he was good promoter. Uh, he, uh, he led the way. He, uh, he, and then I had to make a difference and go ahead to other promoters and make more money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, understandable. Who were some of your sparring partners during your professional career? Uh, I guess you ever heard of Rudy Donato. Uh, mm-hmm. He was, uh, oh man, he had a nice right hand. He was, uh, damaged you with that right hand. I was like, oh, put me in the freeze. And then, <laughs> I, then, then I had to learn how to get under it, which I did. Uh, Journey Nash, uh, he was another guy who was pretty much in the ring with me. Uh, Rudy Donato, uh, he, oh, Rudy. He slammed me. Uh, Billy Abel. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if you heard of Billy Abel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was very good. Uh, nice uh, left hand. Uh, and a few other people. And then they started taking me like Benny Briscoe. <laughs> Benny Briscoe hit me so hard, I thought of my head just popped open. <laughs> you know, Benny Briscoe can hit. Uh, I, Another but, tough Philadelphia fighter. Oh, no doubt. And I was taking the other gyms. To work with other people, uh, it's fantastic when you have that kind of uh, in, uh, interact, interact with other fighters. With Southpaw, you know, uh, people with left hooks, overhand rights, all kinds of styles, you know, and it made a difference in my life, you know. It changed me to start thinking instead of throwing punches, why I'm throwing the punch. Yeah, because yeah. If you throw the punch, you still get hit. Something, something not right. You're not ducking. You, you're missing or whatever. But it, it made a big difference. Uh, I enjoy the training. I enjoy the exercise. I, you know, that we did uh, running. Running is real critical in boxing. You must get that running in. Without the running, you lose your breath. You lose stamina. You just lose too much. You got to get that running in. Mm-hmm. You fought your first two professional fights at the legendary Blue Horizon in North Philadelphia in 1977 and 1978. What was it like for you as a young fighter from Philadelphia to debut in this famous venue? Well, it, it was exciting to me to to step in the ring and have my first professional fight. And, you know, I was in great shape. I think, in fact, I'm pretty sure that 
I was at my top peak when it comes to fighting. You know, mm -hmm. some people may not put their training first, but you must put that first priority over sex. Yeah. <laughs> priority over getting you, you know, you got to get your rest and all. So you got to do what's right to make the fight to your advantage, you know. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> In 1979, you faced another popular Philadelphia fighter, Willie the Worm Monroe, at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. What was the build-up like for this fight? It was so build-up where uh, I used to train with Benny Briscoe and, and, at Joe Frazier Gym and never got to work with him, uh, the Worm. Never got to work with him in the gym. But they put on, I think they had it all set up where I would wonder why I would go to the gym and Benny Briscoe would be in there not willing to work. And then when we got it, when I had a fight with him prior to the fight, I said, this is the reason why we probably never boxed. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they was building up for this fight to happen. You know, us being in the ring, knowing each other's style, I guess they kept that, you know, hush hush. And then when I heard I was fighting Willie the Worm, I'm like, oh, wow, I never got the box with him, baby. And I said to myself, I seen him work out. I said to myself, oh, wow, this is going to be a ride, a ride to take and a, hopefully a ride to win. And it came out to be a win. I, I was able to take knock him out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was awesome, you know. Uh, I think that... Uh, some people take you for granted, and somehow I think he couldn't do what he wanted to do when he was younger. Right. He, were, he was older, and I had to take that in consideration that that's why I was able to beat that fight. Who were the fans more behind that night? Who was what? Who were the fans more behind that night? You were Willie the Worm. I think it was pretty much uh, even because that it was... I mean, we had, must have had every every seat was filled, and it was, I guess, no place with stand-up room only. So I think, and also, I pretty much uh, would say that they wanted to see the action, what I do, because I was uh, like a little Joe Frazier. Right, right. Perpetual puncher, you know, uh, <laughs> you didn't see what was coming until you felt it. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think uh, we, we both was half and half with the uh, people that came to watch the fight. So the fans wanted to see a good fight. And they did. Yep, yep. You captured the USBA middleweight title on May 4th, 1980 with a victory over Mike Colbert in Atlantic City. What was it like for you to capture this title so close to home? Well, also that was a, a great moment in my life where they captured the UBS title and uh, I felt that uh, it was just the way it was planned in my coming up through the ranks uh, my fights and all were good I can say Willie uh, Reddish he, he, he uh, Junior, Willie Reddish Jr. had some say in it. Uh, Willie Reddish Sr., he was the trainer, but I think Junior had a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. And Russell Pelch was also 
had much to do with it. And he picked the fights for me. And we, I wanted to say that the fights are staged for you to win to become champ. Right, right. Not to be beaten, not to go against, you know, uh, hard opponents where you're not ready. So I would say I, the ride going that way was good until, you know, I ran into a thunderbolt. <laughs> I guess that's when I went to uh, uh, John King and, you know, but uh, with um, Pelch, uh, Russell Pelch, he gave me, I would say, he gave me a nice history of winning. Yeah, uh, and so did my trainer who had some say in it. And I have to, you know, give a lot to say. I have a lot to say about Russell Pelch. He, you know, he was what he was with me. I, I, I was grateful that he did it. I, I wouldn't have no other way. Mm -hmm. Although I know he had some things negative that were said about him, but I have nothing negative to say about him when we were together. Cool, cool. You retired from boxing in 1988 following your defeat to Michael Nunn for the NABF middleweight title in Las Vegas. What made you decide to retire from the sport at that point in your career? Well, it comes to doing the era of my boxing. I know politics plays a big part. Mm -hmm. Also, I know it's a time where you need to walk away and sometimes staying will endanger uh, your future. So um, I, I think at that time, I'm pretty sure I went as far as I could. Okay. Okay, when I fought, not none, when I fought, uh, oh, um, uh, what's the guy? Uh, oh, get that a hole. Sure. Ham, Hamshaw was my None wasn't my end of fighting. Hamshaw was my fight. The first fight we had, I won, but they gave it to him so he could go in the fight uh, for the title. And that was Marvin Hagler. But they had, yet they already had a setup for him to fight it. So it's almost like I understood the logic that they had the rings. They had it all sold. Prior to them fighting, they had it all sold that a lot of people came over with Hampshire to see the fight at all. But I won that fight. Even mm -hmm. though it was announced on TV, I won the fight, but they didn't change it. They left it alone. And I said to myself, that could have been the other way around. What would I have done? I wouldn't have said nothing but walked away. At that time, I'm saying. And that's how it was. That If it was the other way around, they gave me, I won the fight, but if it was the other way around for me to win, and already set up to win, uh, to have a title fight. That's how it was with Hampshire. Mm -hmm. He had to get by me, but it was already staged for them to fight. Right, and right. Made, you know, now, only way he couldn't get by me, I had to knock him out. Mm -hmm. you know, but I look back and said to myself, that was a factor in life that would have changed my life because I would have fought Hagler. And in essence, I would have fought anyone and everyone. But I look back and say, Southpaw, Hagler was the beast and all that. I would have been, I'm more skeptical of saying that that would have been a win for me. It would have been a hell of a fight, 
But you see what he did to Hampshire, he gave him 12 stitches. Oh, yeah, he busted him open. Right. Yeah. And I was easy to also cut, too. So, But I would rather have fight for the title. At least I would have had the title fight, you know. Uh, not money-wise, but just to have that, you know, I fought for the title. And yeah. I would say now it would have been not to my advantage, but I would like to have thought I would won or win the fight. Right, right. You know, just to say that I was, you know, a champ and all that. But uh, I, I was up there high enough to say, uh, I'm cool. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was up there, you know, you know. And to be able to walk away with the uh, situations and all that I had in my life and all, I made some great decisions. And there was something that wasn't so great, but didn't put a hamper. It didn't knock me way back, you know, to 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 the beginning. I know I still were up there somewhere, and I knew that I didn't want to continue because it would have been out of ignorance on my part. I don't have it in me, you know. It's not there, you know. Mm -hmm. You knew it was time to, to hang it up. Exactly, and I think that it was good that I did. Uh, I don't see any kind of side effects. Some of the guys I have encountered, yeah, man, I don't know what caused that. I don't think it was just boxing. I think it was the life they lived mm -hmm. while they were boxing and after they finished boxing or the drugs or whatever, you know. And they came across a bad marriage or whatever caused them. And it's too many. And it's almost like football concussion. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of bo I mean, boxers, a lot of football players shoot themselves. Right. Because, you know, I'm not saying boxers shoot themselves, but they're out on the street. They, you know, broke or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, don't have the family that they had in the beginning. So much that goes on. And that is not only in boxing, football, but singers, you know, actors and all that. Have celebrities. That. Yeah, yeah celebrities. across the board. Yeah. You know, so it's not, uh, it is known. It's not a shut house. It is known that people had money, broke people, you know, this and that. And all. It's just, I said to myself, I made my mother, my manager. So she got a house, a car, and money in the bank. I said, why should I let uh, a trainer or a promoter, you know, take the money? So I made her, even to this day, she's doing well. That's awesome. So you had you had a plan for your post fighting your post fighting life. Yes. Yep. You you retired with twenty nine wins, nine losses, and no draws. Fans and boxing analysts fondly remember you for an, for being an all action fighter. That being said, who was the toughest opponent you faced during your professional career? I always say all of them. All of them had a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they all had a chance. And uh, the chance, I'm glad it never came. You know, uh, the only chance that happened to me <laughs> when I went down to weight and fought uh, middle, uh, Jane Middleweight, I fought uh, Agami. Mm -hmm. I was in the sauna, sweating it out, just shut off. Man, I was so weak. Oh, when I got hit, I just, I would never had, if I ever trade someone, I would never let that happen. 
Yeah, yeah. I did everything just, I didn't eat, you know, I, I just, I never been down to 156. I was 60 and above. It took me a while, but I don't know if you know about that fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went, I got, went up the steps, I went up, bang, got hit, and I could have got hurt. You were exhausted from trying to make weight. Yes, I, even the night before the fight, I was, was in a sauna making making weight, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, telling me I got to, I was done, you know. But that experience, if I ever train, come in contact with anybody that will listen, that you heard the saying, pimps and prostitutes. Yeah. They will prostitute the hell out of you, and the pimps will just let you go, go and get the last dollar they can get in their pocket. So I would tell board that I would say to a person, be ready. Be ready. If you're not ready, don't sweat it. Because if you sweat it, you more likely will lose. And that's what I did. I sweat that fight. I sweat it until I got down the weight. I was so weak. It, it, it's, to me, I'm glad I was able to walk away. Mm-hmm. Got up and walk away and not be injured. Uh, I've never been knocked out, and the only time I've been hit that way when uh, I was bar- I was boxing Benny Briscoe and working out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, I think the knockout came because of my weakness, not because he punched hard. Tell us a little bit about what you did after boxing. Okay, okay. Uh, I was in the hospital and I was in food service. Mm-hmm. And I was a chef, you know, at the grill, cooking steaks and all. And when I left the food service, trained to go boxing, came back to food service, and I I had some electrical plumbing because of the time I had off, I was working with housing authority, electrical plumbing, carpentry stuff I had. And I said to myself that boxing is feel like it's coming to an end where I want to leave almost just as good as I started, you know. So when I was working, when I was boxing, I also was working. So I was in the maintenance department at the University of Penn Hospital. And I would take off the fight and go back to work the food service and then uh, the history I had prior to going to the hospital work, I was working on cars, I worked with uh, plumbers, I worked with carpenters, just to feel, get a feel for what I want to do mm-hmm. when I leave boxing or what would I be doing, you know, so I end up in maintenance. And I had to say this story that being in maintenance, my mother called me and asked me. She said her um, refrigerator wasn't cold. And when she called me, I said, well, you got a vacuum cleaner and all. I said, well, have. I gave her a name. I said, he could have them. Back him out 
the uh, back of the refrigerator and clean all that. And she called me back the next day. Oh, it's cold. It's working. <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, mom. I said, uh, I'm glad I took the classes that uh, helped me to understand what to do. She said, oh, a lot of people would have just got me, got me to get the refrigerator up and got me, and I had to buy another refrigerator. I said, pretty much. Uh, not knowing it hurts, you know. Yeah. And so that's why I really got more so in the electric plumbing and carpentry, just to know. And I was able to do my own bathroom, put my own tub and toilet, and all that. And when it comes, when people ask me questions, I give them the answer and all. And I tell them, you know, you probably can do it. If you can't, call me or call 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 a company coming to do it. Because refrigerators, refrigerators, sometimes you don't want to have to charge it again, it'd be better to buy a new one. Yeah. Because it, it, it can leak, it can be a problem. Later, get a new one. That's what I tell you. That's awesome, Curtis. You're a man who wears many different hats. Yeah, well, many pretty, different skills. Even, even at the hospital, everyone know me. When I go there, I think I bring the operators, the yeah. plumber, well, the operators, the electrician. And if I'm in service, I bring us all together so we a team. Just like they do surgery, mm -hmm. they have a team. Well, on third shift, we all work together. And I talk to the director, supervisor, the supervisor, the, uh, the director of uh, I mean, the director of security. I talk to him, let him know that this is uh, what is going on. You're not there. I just want you to know how we work together. And I talked to the, even the big guys, you know, in, in uh, the hospital, the uh, chief and all that stuff. They love those going. They love it. And to be able to say that <laughs> I, have a, I have a mind that helps. Yeah. I have a mind that helps. I have a mind that cares. And I, even a patient can tell me something wrong I handle it because I work for everyone. Yeah, yeah. The patients, the doctors, the nurses, the, even the visitors, they can tell me. And I get it done. You know, that's what it is. Our mission is to get it done. Even in your post-boxing life, you're still a man of the people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The beautiful thing is that you can have people like you or dislike you. Mm -hmm. And more likely, the people who dislike a person like me are pretty much kind of angry or cocky or feel some kind of way that I don't want them to think that he's all that. Yeah. But what I am, I am, you know? And if if you want to have something at your house you need done, whatever it is, get it done. Yeah. But when I say get it done, do it right. But when you get it done, that means do it right, get it done. No, you know, like uh, your wife might ask you, when you gonna get my car fixed? Well, pretty much you will have it probably fixed before she even asks you that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's how I work with people. Okay? When I see something, I take care of it. I don't want it like, gone. that been out for two weeks. You know, uh, boxing, I think that was the same kind of mind I had. Get it, get it done. You, know, yeah. work, you gotta work out, you gotta get in shape. You know, you can't, you know, Half step, gotta get it done, you know. And so my my life is all about getting it done. So back to boxing, Curtis. 
What made Philadelphia a great city for boxing in the 1970s and 1980s? Well, you can say Frazier had a lot to do with it. And even Alley, although he didn't live in, uh, but those two have brought boxing to the level uh, where it is today. Um, it, I think it also helped with people like Pelch. He had the kind of fighters that people wanted to see. You know, uh, that's what you go to uh, a play, you want to see a good play. You go to a party, you want to see a good party. And I think people will pay for uh, a good just outing, you know, sometimes uh, uh, that was a good fight. Oh, man, that was, you know. So, you know, then uh, one of my opponents passed and I had a fight that he passed. I felt so bad that I gave my purse to the wife. I mean, oh, man, that was, oh, that was damaging. And see, a lot of people think fighters, I'm probably the most sensitive fighter that I can recall. I, you know, somebody tell me, oh man, I, it's, you know, they tell me their story and oh, I take it to heart, man. It's Curtis, thank you very much for sitting down with me this afternoon. Oh, it's a pleasure. You can learn more about Curtis Parker via a series of links to websites such as Curtis's BoxRec page in the notes section of this episode. And now, our executive producer, Peter Lloyd, will tell us more about our next episode. The next episode of The Weigh-In will air on April 12th and will feature Matt's interview with author and historian Gordon Bond. Gordon runs the history website Garden State Legacy and is the author of three books on New Jersey history. In his most recent book, Wicked Woodbridge and Crazy Carteret, Gordon wrote about the 1926 Carteret race riot. This race riot was incited by the murder of a popular local boxer, Johnny Carroll, by a black man named Robert Ducrest. You can listen to the Way In podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. If you listen to the show on iTunes, please leave us a rating.